Hey everyone, this is Charlie Thornton sitting in. Welcome to Just Saying, the Be My Guest version, where we talk to interesting people about interesting stuff. Today I'm bringing you a conversation I had with a very smart guy about how to run better meetings. And I'll be bringing you other conversations like this with other interesting people in the coming months. So don't be surprised when you hear my voice. Okay, before we start, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for being here. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and don't forget to write an awesome review. And yes, I'm talking to you right now, that person who's been listening for a few months, but you still haven't written a review. Come on, it'll take like 15 seconds and it means a lot to us. Thank you. All right, today I talked with John Borda, who is the Senior Director of Leadership Effectiveness at Granger. He has worked with leaders all around the world, helping them define their vision, their culture, their strategy. He's a guy that I look up to, and he's developed a reputation as someone who can engineer and run incredibly effective meetings, both big and small. I personally had the chance to work with John on a bunch of really cool projects early in my career, and I always learn something when I talk to him. I hope you do too. Let's listen in. Okay. Hey, John. Hey. How are you? I'm doing great, Charlie. Awesome. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks Good for doing kid. this. Yeah, thanks, no man. I have my uh, my playoff beard going here. By that, I mean my COVID beard. Yeah. It's getting long. Um, appreciate you taking a little time to talk with me about meetings today. Um, my favorite topic. Is it your favorite topic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is it your favorite topic? I love meetings, at least good ones. I like good ones. It's uh, it's the vehicle of collaboration. So is it fair to say that you've never had the title like meeting planner? Uh, it would be more than fair to say that because I never okay. have. You've never had. And so you're not, you're not a meeting planner per se. Your background, you have a what MBA from University of Chicago and you have a lot of experience in different industries and you've you've been a director of strategy. So how did you get how did you get this reputation for being a guy that people turn to to help with meetings? Uh yeah, so a business that I worked in in the late 90s um uh right when I was getting my MBA actually uh, I had a boss who was um, an innovative guy and he listened really well. And I was learning all this stuff in business school that I felt like the business that I was working in could use. And uh, so he started to invite me to facilitate the leadership team of the business so that we could apply some of the stuff that I had been learning about. And that was really the earliest facilitation uh, uh, assignment that I had. And then, you know, over the, over the years, other bosses used me to facilitate their leadership teams. And then when, uh, when I came back and joined Granger back in 2009, I joined specifically uh, one of my primary responsibilities, even though it wasn't in my job title, was to facilitate the team that was running the U.S. business at the time. And so, uh, so that, that became kind of a big part of the job. So you've, you've always welcomed that opportunity to get pulled into meeting design and, and facilitation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like doing that work. And um, I don't know, it's easy uh, to be the facilitator because you don't really have to form any opinions. In fact, the, probably the challenge of it is to not have an opinion 
and to just focus on making sure that everybody else's opinions get heard and challenged. The interesting thing about that is I think a lot like a lot of people are scared of the idea of facilitating a meeting. It gives them a lot of stress. And yet you're saying, uh, I think they feel like they have to be the center of the show or the center of the attention or something like that. Oh yeah. Well, that that's probably rule number one. If you want to be a good facilitator is to not be the center of the show. You want to make the participants, the center of the show. The, the sooner that I can be in the background, the better the meeting will, will go. So what are some of the key ways that you do that? Um, well, I think, I think uh, it's first of all, in the design of the meeting before it even starts, making sure that you know how you're gonna allocate the time, what the big rock topics of the meeting are, all of that stems from clearly articulating what the objectives are, what, what mm -hmm. needs to be true at the end of the meeting to, for the leader or whoever your stakeholders are to consider it a successful meeting. And so from objectives, we go to, to uh, time allocation and sequence. And, um, and then after once you sort of established what you plan to do with the exception of sort of setting the tone at the beginning and then only stepping in when you absolutely need to because the conversation is you know, not heading in the direction that it should be, then um, the, the facilitator is really just there to watch how the meeting is going, not to be a participant in it. What do you think is more important, the, the design and prep or the actual running of the meeting and the facilitation? Uh, more important. Hmm. Um, I think it's probably, I think I would put design and prep ahead of the actual facilitation. What do you facilitation, enjoy? Facilitation takes a little practice and there's some skill involved there, but the design is where the creative component is. Got it. And you enjoy both parts of it equally or do you enjoy one more yeah, than the other? I do. I like both parts. So just for people who are listening, just to give them a sense of, of the type of meetings that you've been involved in, um, can you give us a sense of like, I just have a couple of questions for you. Like what, what would be the biggest meeting that you've ever helped to design? Um, well, I'm not sure if we would call this a meeting, but um, I have a pretty big part in, um, a, in two events that happen at our annual trade show in Orlando. Um, one is sort of a general session where our leaders get on stage and, and talk about our strategy primarily to our sales and services organization. And the other main event is an awards thing that happens um, with that same audience. And that's an audience of about 5,000. Um, then meeting-wise, in the, in the realm of meetings, uh, most of what I do is leaders and their leadership teams. Um, then we also do a lot of work with sort of extended leadership teams. Like you might think about people in a director level or up, uh, leaders of leaders kind of meetings. And those can be anywhere from 40, 50, 60 people up to 150 people. Um, and then uh, periodically I do sort of large organizational meetings like uh, uh, all the team members in a function 
those can be five or 600 people. Got it. So you've, you've done some really big groups, obviously. Um, and, but then just, uh, on a, in like a normal year, what type of meeting, at what point does a meeting require like specific design from your standpoint? Like at what size does it, does it sort of go, hang on, we need to actually design this experience. I think they all require design. Even a meeting with a handful of people. Yes, especially a meeting with a handful of people. Especially. Why especially? Um, because usually if you just have a leader and a leadership team, the goal of uh, that group is to make some decisions. And so if you're not planning for uh, what those decisions are and what information needs to be brought into the meeting in order for them to make better decisions together, um, then, and if you're not planning to build the trust that is necessary for them to have a healthy conflict that leads to better decisions, um, you, you really won't be successful in, in that meeting, so. Got it. So from your perspective, what are some of the mistakes that people make in the lead up to an important meeting, even if it's only with a few people? Um, yeah, so um, I think people don't do enough preparation and thinking about how they want the meeting to go. Okay. Um, I think it's easy to let the meeting become uh, just a free form conversation uh, and sometimes what can happen is a single topic or a single opinion can take the meeting down a path that uh, is not productive to achieving the objectives. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and, and I believe that that's what facilitation helps with is to guard against that and watch how the dynamic of the group that's involved in the meeting, how they're, how they're interacting and uh, then to use some guidance to try and keep them on track for achieving what they came together to achieve. Got it. There's a, a question that I get a lot actually is, what do you do in a meeting when you have a voice who's strong enough to take the conversation sideways or into the weeds? And how do you, how do you deal with that? How have you dealt with that in your career? Um, I, I can't think of anybody who uh, didn't want to um, play within the boundaries of what the expectations were for the meeting. Like, I've never had to take anybody aside and say, hey, back off, <laughs> you know? Like a naughty corner or something? Yeah, but, but part of the reason that that happens, I think, is because um, uh, I'm pretty careful, we're pretty careful at the beginning of the meeting to sort of say, here's what good behavior looks like. Yeah. in this kind of a meeting. And we have a simple set of, of um, best practices that we subscribe to that we share with the meeting, the people in the meeting, regardless of the size. Um, and so, you know, there's five things we ask people to do. We ask them to be present, that is to not be multitasking, but to stay focused on the conversation. Um, we ask them to create a healthy climate uh, that is, we want them to make it okay for um, the other people in the meeting to say what they're really thinking and to be psychologically safe, if you will. That's a popular term these days. Mm -hmm. um, we ask them to speak their truth. And so we uh, open up the possibility that everybody has their own truth to share 
based on their experience and their point of view. And we want everybody to feel like they can, they can speak openly and share their perspective. Uh, we ask the people in the room to take ownership of the meeting. Uh, the facilitator doesn't own the meeting, the leader doesn't own the meeting, everybody who's in the meeting owns the meeting. And, uh, and so we want people to feel like owners and to act accordingly. And lastly, we ask people to have some fun because we think if you keep it light, um, we, we think of meetings as learning experiences. Learning always goes better if you are having fun along the way. And you find that when you lay those things out, as long as people understand them and they understand the goal of the meeting, they're, they're willing to play within the rules of the game? Generally, yes. And then we, we try and get them to practice it right away by putting them into some small groups and letting them have some smaller conversations. Because when you, um, if you're a person who feels like they have a, the overarching opinion that matters in a group of let's say 10 people, once you've had them talk to just two of those people, they, I think, get pretty clear quickly that there's other opinions besides theirs. Mm. One of the things that I've just observed in, in my career is how important the beginning of the meeting is. Like, cause I think, I think th there are the stated rules, right. But then there's also the way that people behave and the way that others feed off of that. Have you, have you noticed that in, in your career and are there things that you do to try to establish that dynamic right up front? Like the dynamic that you want right up front? Yeah, yeah, well, besides what I've just described, the tone for the meeting, the expectations of how people are gonna show up are set by the leader. And so it's always true in every meeting that I've ever done that there is a leader or a couple of leaders who are um, you know, convening the group and establishing why the group should convene and they have expectations for how they want everyone to behave. And so the preparation for that, the, the pre-work, if you will, is to get really clear with that leader or those leaders on what their expectations are so that they're prepared to say them to start the meeting off. Okay. And they do that before you establish the ground rules or right after, or it depends? Before. Okay. So that's before. the very first thing. Very first thing. Got it. Um, I'm curious because there are people who are listening who maybe most of the meetings they go to don't have a facilitator per se, or maybe it's a hat that somebody else in the meeting is is wearing. Um, what do you do in that situation? And, and should people be trying to use facilitators more? Uh, I think you should use facilitators more, yes. Okay. <laughs> Good for my business. Yeah, right, right convenient for you to say that um, I think if you if you have a group that doesn't have a facilitator and you can designate someone to act as the facilitator you know the sort of downside of it is that you lose that person's opinion because the facilitator should be ready to stay neutral um, or needs to be skilled at at indicating at signaling to the group when they're stepping outside their role as facilitator to share their opinion mm. Um, and so the challenge is who in the group is expendable in that regard, right? Who, who, do, who do you not want to hear from that you want them to be watching how the meeting's working? 
rather than sharing participate their participation. Got it. Uh, so devil's advocate. Well, I'll just facilitate it myself, and I can still have a voice in it. Yeah. Well, I hear leaders say that sometimes. I I can lead it and I can facilitate it. Yeah. And I tell them no, you can't. Um, you either have to be the leader and have an opinion and be willing to share it with your group, your team, or you can be the facilitator, which means you're not going to have an opinion. Because the risk is, if especially if you're the leader and you think you're facilitating, but you're sharing your opinions, what you're really doing is steering the group and potentially stifling other people from sharing their opinions mm. because your opinion becomes what matters. It's like a like a referee that's rooting for one side. Right. Or like a referee that says, hey, you know, would you mind if I took this free throw? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes sense when you put it in that context. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so those are some of the mistakes that people make when it comes to preparing for a meeting. What about during the meeting? Like what, what, are you, what are some of the mistakes that people make when they're facilitating the meeting? Uh, overemphasis on presentation and underemphasis on interaction, I think is the big challenge. Okay. Can you unpack that a little bit? Um, you know, uh, we try to design meetings that allow the group to diverge and converge, to break into smaller groups, have a more intimate conversation, and then to come back together to a larger conversation with the whole group. And, um, you know, uh, Here's a belief of mine. The person who's talking is the person who's learning. Hmm. And so if you want the meeting to be a learning experience, you want um, everybody to have the opportunity to talk as much as possible. And even if you have 10 people, what the constraint here is time. So let's say you're having a half day meeting with 10 people. Each person only gets X amount of time that they get to talk and learn. But if you break them into smaller groups, you increase the amount of time that everybody gets to talk. And so this notion of diverging and converging is enables people to talk more. That's how they learn. Why is it true that the person who's talking is the person who's learning? Um, I'm not sure exactly why could share an article or two with you. Uh, I would say it's, beca it's, it's because um, being the person who's talking is forcing people, forcing the person who's talking to think through uh, what they're saying. Like I'm thinking through what I'm saying right now. And I've, I've never talked to anybody about this the way that you and I are talking about it. Or if I have, I can't remember when it was. Well, good. So I'm getting it really fresh and and raw. So, so as yeah, you're thinking about it, you're, you're, the ideas are crystallizing just by the, for, the fact that you have to put them into words. Exactly. Got it. Okay. I'm the one who's learning. That makes here. a lot of sense. So you're the one who's learning. I got you. Uh, okay. So then you, you diverge to increase the number of people who are talking. And then why do you, why do you pull everybody back in and converge again? Um, to get alignment or agreement or, or maybe just to continue the conversation and to share opinions. I mean, it depends on what the topic is and what they're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to make decisions, you know, the important dynamic to have 
is that people are willing to share their point of view. This is speak your truth. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to challenge each other's point of view. That's how you get to a better decision together. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and so the, the foundational need in order for that to happen amongst a group is that they have to trust each other so that they can believe that if I challenge your point of view, that I'm doing it in the best interests of the decision and not in my own self-interest. Got it. What are some of the, um, I guess, sources of, of insight or inspiration that you have when it comes to meetings and learning? I'm a big fan of Peter Block, <clears throat> who wrote a great book called Community. And Block believes that the questions are always more important than the answers. Hmm. And so getting the questions right uh, matters a lot. I could see how that would create like a really cool experience in a meeting. We've got great questions. There's great conversation. I think one of the things like on, from a practical standpoint that people sometimes struggle with with meetings is we go and we have great conversations and then we leave and we just, nothing happens. How do you, how do you prevent against that? It, and I guess it's because because you mentioned the, the questions being more important than the answers, which is a cool idea, but it seems like it might lead to something where the answers don't matter. They don't get recorded. Nothing happens. Yeah. Um, so the, the funnel of conversations for me starts at the wide end of the funnel with um, uh, conversations that are about relationships. Um, I tell you what I think. You tell me what you think. We get to know each other better. And out of that kind of a conversation, we, we uh, get a shared understanding of our situation. And that, that kind of conversation leads to conversations of possibility where you and I can ideate together and explore all the possible things that we could do about the situation that we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Out of those conversations for possibility, we get conversations for opportunity where we choose uh, one or more of those possibilities. And we ask ourselves, if we took action on these possibilities, how would we measure them to know whether or not they were the right choices, right? Got it. And then now that we've chosen some opportunities, we can have action talk. Who's going to do what by when? And so that the next time that we're together, after we've taken those actions, we can talk about the results that we've gotten. Got it. So a team, so to, to be a productive team, you have to kind of work through that whole funnel. That's right. How often does a team need to work through that whole funnel? I mean, I, I'm assuming, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming every meeting wouldn't hit all of those things, but maybe it does. Uh, probably not. Probably not. I mean, there's a lot of lot of variables there. Depends how well the team knows each other. Depends how much trust they already have together. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends how much time they have. It depends on what the frequency and recency is of their of their meetings, right? Mm-hmm. So people today are really busy. No surprise. I don't think yeah. we'd argue about that. Um, and obviously at the brief lab, we're help, we're trying to help people to be clear and concise so they can 
so they can move on with and actually get stuff done. Right. And one of the things I hear about meetings a lot is like, just make them faster, make them more productive, you know, and I don't know. Do you, do you think we're maybe missing some of these things that are higher up in the funnel and taking time to do those things? Yeah. The re the reason I think of it as a funnel is because um, it's proportional to the amount of time you need to spend and you should spend a greater portion of your time on building relationships and shared understanding, because if you start there, then uh, choosing the opportunities and the actions to take is a much clearer uh, exercise, a much clearer conversation, because you've already agreed on what is. So if you're gonna talk about what could be, agreeing on what is first is kind of foundational to having what could be, be a healthy, a healthy way, describe a healthy way forward. Got it. Do you have any thoughts on the current environment where meetings are basically all virtual now? And it seems like investing that time for relationship it, it is maybe more difficult because we don't, we're not in person. It's just a little bit weirder. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's no, you, you, you got the same thoughts that I do. It's a lot harder and it's weird. And it's, it's an awful way to uh, build a relationship. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it, it's not nothing. Like the fact that I can see you right now is, is nice. It's not, it's not nothing. Yeah, but you know what we can't do is look into each other's eyes. I can either look into your eyes or I can look into the camera so you can look into my eyes. Right. I we can do, do it, but only one at a time. We can't only do it at one the at same time. time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's a good point. Even no even if you try to position it really close, it's not quite the same. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It's tough. I had a phone call today that was just a phone call. Like I actually dialed a number. It wasn't a Teams link or a Zoom link. It was kind of refreshing, to be honest. <laughs> it, it felt kind of good. Like I got to walk around like I used to when I was on the phone and, you know, walk around, sit out, sit down, walk to the window, look out. Um, I think there's, there's a certain, I think, I think people today sometimes feel a little bit like they're chained to their computer screen. Yep. I get that. Yeah. Um, what else, John, what, what other, what other wisdom could you impart on oh, gosh. how do you, how do you help people have really good meetings? You've given us a lot to chew on already. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about wisdom. Uh, you know, I guess I'd say practice, you know, like try, try things and then decide whether or not they work. Like I'm a big proponent of at the very least having the last few minutes of the meeting before the leader closes it down, be some feedback on how the meeting went. What did people like about it? What do they wish had been different? And you know, the, the other manifestation of that is to do surveys. Like if the meeting is significant enough, like you've spent a day together or it's a large group, it probably makes some sense to do a post-meeting survey and just ask those questions. What do people like? What do they wish had been different? What do they hope for the future? Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I think uh, constantly checking to see how people are experiencing the meeting will give you the feedback that you need to improve over time. One of the questions that I get a lot from people is, um, what about recurring meetings? We have so many recurring meetings. How do we run those effectively? Any, th any thoughts or guidance there? Well, I like Lancioni's approach, which is uh, no agenda. Um, if, you, if you've got a bi-weekly staff meeting, start the meeting with going around the table and give everybody two minutes to just say, here's the three things I've been doing since the last time we met, and here's the three things I got coming my way before we meet again. And that'll help you to understand what's the most important things to spend more time talking about for the time that you're together. Got it. When you are designing uh, a meeting or prepping for a meeting, do you, is it something you like to do solo or do you like to bring other people into it as well? Uh, I prefer to do it collaboratively. Um, all of my best meetings, I've had uh, a co-facilitator who has been a counterbalance to what my preferences and <clears throat> my experience and skills are. So doing, doing it collaboratively is always the, my preference. Does that person always need to be an experienced or professional facilitator or is it, can any old smart person do? Uh, any old smart person can do as long as um, the, uh, uh, the preparation is such where they have an equal voice and are willing to challenge the thinking. Got it. And then how much do you, um, when, you're, when you're designing a meeting, how much do you interact with the leader Who's, who, who owns the meeting, who, who has the objective. Yeah, prior to the meeting, I need at least two interactions, you know, typically a couple, two, three weeks before and, and one week before, just to say, what do you want to accomplish in the first meeting? What are the objectives? And then to share what the design is in the second one so that we can be uh, aligned on what we're going to spend our, how we're going to spend our time. And then during the meeting, I like doing check-ins. You get breaks, you go on lunch, just check in with the leader and say, how's it going? Any adjustments we need to make? Or if it's a large meeting, check in with the whole leadership team, have a daily huddle that says, how are we doing? What are you hearing about the meeting? And uh, what adjustments should we make? I think probably a lot of people think of large meetings as being vastly different from small meetings, are they? Uh, well, there's a lot more presentation, especially in the virtual world, because the getting people into smaller conversations is so much harder in this environment. Um, but I think the same principles apply. You want to get people talking to to each other, not just talking at them from a stage. Got it. Shortly after I met you, I attended a large meeting that you that you had a big, a big hand in designing. And I think it was the head of sales rode onto stage on a motorcycle. So uh, last question for you, what are some of the interesting things that you've, interesting techniques or interesting stunts that you've seen pulled in meetings that you've had a hand in? Just curious. Yeah. Um, I, you know, uh, I try to have a sense of humor about what we're what, what you're doing when you have a big meeting like that uh 
you want to be careful not to make it too much of a show um, because it's not a show uh, and it won't be as meaningful if it is a show. Yeah. Um, but if there's ways that you can find for people to have some fun on stage and you and I have done a lot of things together that have created a fun atmosphere in, in a large group presentation like that. I'm thinking of when we, remember when we found the guy in the Granger organization who was writing rap music. Yeah. He wrote rap songs about our strategy. And that culminated with him having a live dubbed performance from the stage of one of his strategy rap songs. So. Com complete with stage lights and giant uh, beach balls as well, as I recall. That was, one of right. the cooler, that was one of the cooler, more surreal moments. It was. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. So, so fun, but don't get, don't get goofy with it or you might undermine the, the, the real work that has to get done. Yeah. Well, the, the, the message has to be real. The talk has to be yeah. real. And the leaders have to be real. They have to be authentic. Got it. Awesome. John, I really appreciate taking your, your, your time to give us some insights. I always learn something when I talk to you. Glad usually to talk to you, than, Charlie. Usually more than one thing. <laughs> Glad to talk to you anytime, Charlie. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much, John. My pleasure. All right. Take care.